Yes, your boy is back. After a week away for a nice resting and relaxing vacation, I am back for episode 68 of the Quarterly Report. I want to thank each and every one of you guys for listening, downloading, subscribing, emailing, tweeting, the whole nine. Y'all show me a lot of love on the week away. This week, we're coming back with the vengeance. My guy, my brother for real, Michael Jenkins, the people's anchor. He's going to stop by this week, making his second return to the show. And we've got a lot to discuss about DC sports and, in my opinion, the biggest sports superstar maybe ever. And this is coming from somebody who doesn't even like him. All that plus, what's up with your man, Kelvin Benjamin? Like, for real, seriously, what's up with your man, Kelvin Benjamin? We absolutely will get into that. All that and so much more. But first, our number one story this week. First quarter. It's the story that just will not go away. We are already in the second week of the NFL preseason. The NFL regular season begins in a matter of weeks. And for the, what, going on two straight years now, we are still talking about player protest, the national anthem, owners in the league reaction, reacting to the protest, and politicians trying to I don't know, throw red meat to their bases because of it. I don't know if you guys noticed, I've, I've tried to stay away from this as much as, po- as possible because I feel like I'll never forget, man. Once I saw Jerry Jones look directly in the Monday Night Football cameras, wink, and then take a knee, I was like, okay, this whole, everything regarding this, this political protest, this peaceful protest, it's been hijacked now. Ray Lewis got on one knee, not just one knee, but two knees for Jesus. He, he, he said, it's just, you can't even take anything this guy says seriously anymore. Um, and like the whole message, everything that was done because of it has now been lost, right? I know that it's a, a polarizing topic nationally. I don't think it's too polarizing with my audience particularly, but I could be wrong. Um, because I don't think I have a monolithic list, group of listeners, but I do think the majority of you all kind of feel the same way as I do. Um, but even with that being said, Colin Kaepernick and Eric Reed, right, years ago now, they did this because they felt it in their hearts and souls to, to, to voice their displeasure, not literally, but just figuratively voice their displeasure with what they have seen happen in their country. And despite the numerous amount of time that players, Kaepernick, Reed, and others have gone out of their way to explain that, no, this is not a protest of the national anthem. No, this is not a protest of our military. No, this is not a protest of our men and women, our brave men and women who who fight for the country and other countries and, 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 and other things like that. The, the narrative continues to stick around. Like you have national publications still calling it a national anthem protest, even though it's clear if you listen, it's not right. I'm tired of it. And this will be the last time I talk about this because I'm at the point now where the NFL and look, the NFL, God knows they've got their, they, will not get sympathy from me 
<laughs> on most things. It's a famous line in one of my favorite movies, man. Probably, no lie, one of the five greatest lines in a movie ever. It's from the classic, the legendary film Major Pain, starring the one and only Damon Waynes. And he says in the film, if you want sympathy from me, look in the dictionary between shit and syphilis. My goodness, how great of a quote is that, right? So the NFL could get their dictionary if they're looking for sympathy from yours truly. But even though the NFL seemingly walks into so many controversial positions, so many just wrong positions, right? Unwinnable positions. The initial protest from Cap and Reed is something that they could have never foreseen, right? So knowing how polarized polarizing this country is just we're polarized just pretty much down the, down the line or close to down the line on so many topics right this obviously is one of them i feel bad for them because they are in the well not they are but they were in the position where they had there was really no way to win right they have dropped the ball since on a number of levels right um, trying to satisfy politicians who clearly you are using them as a way to garner favorable, uh, you know, feelings and, and poll ratings and the whole nine, right? We It's clear any objective observer to what is going on with the league and certain politicians, it's clear that they are being used as bait. But not only that, what's lost, even with the message, what's lost is, they're currently blackballing the two guys who started this, right? But I'm not going to get into all of that because I promise you I'm tired of it. I'm not going to talk about this anymore. But the thing that annoys me the most as we are weeks away from the start of the season, as we are months away from one of the best Super Bowls I have ever seen, we are still talking about how to quote unquote handle the protest, right? Now, look, I, from a business standpoint, I get it. They don't want, we, we, we give Stephen A a lot of hell. I give him hell on this show from time to time, but you know, let's give him his credit. He was the first one that I heard kind of pull the card on the, on the NFL, basically stating that they are charging our military, right? to to do this this like kind of patriotic this anthem stuff like we didn't always have this and now they're they're actually taking money to do this right this false patriotism this fake patriotism and the whole thing is just it's just ugly right no matter what side of the position you fall the whole thing just doesn't even smell right from top to bottom but the NFL still is in a position where they're fighting to trying to figure out. They're like in quicksand. They, they're, they're doing everything they can to try to solve, quote unquote, solve this issue. But they're only making it worse. And I, someone who, who likes to think of themselves as someone who is a problem solver, right? I've been, I'm astonished that no one has come up with an idea that's like, yo, this is easy. We can fix this and it doesn't hurt anybody. Because what the NFL has done, they have somehow pissed off both sides of this issue, right? They have lit a wire on both ends and they are waiting 
to burn their hands off holding it right in the middle. Because that's exactly what they're doing. Like, there are a lot of things that are going on in the NFL. CTE, domestic violence, all this other, like, what is a hit? What is the catch? They've got real issues that they have to deal with. This, they're just walking on landmines right now. They Because they have no clue. But because I'm feeling magnanimous, I'm going to help the NFL out. Because this is crazy and it's gone on too long. And I'm sick of talking about it. I'm sick of hearing about it. And I'm sure you all are as well. So without further ado, I'm going to give you the quick fix. It's easy. We are in a visual era, right? All this data, I'm reading stuff now. People sending me emails and articles. Hey, Armand, your podcast is great. You got to get visual, right? This is the, the new way. People need to see things to consume it, not just on television. People like to consume things. You got to get on YouTube. You got to get on YouTube. got to get on IG. Get a snap. Boom, 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 right? Got it. We're in a visual day and age, right? We are stimulated. We need constant stimulation, especially visually. The NBA, the English Premier League, they, they, they thrive in this type of environment, right? Because they're always putting out content that can really, the, the term is snackable, like really small vignettes, 30 seconds to a minute long, you know, little pieces of visual stimuli, right? So, we know that the NFL can't now say, look, players, we're going to keep players in the locker room because it's going to look and there are going to be people who will hold that against them because every step they make, anytime one player protests or lifts a fist or takes a knee or stays in the locker room, you guys know, I know it, we all know it, there are going to be people who are going to use that against the league to rally up their base and get their base upset, right? And the football is so big. Football is so American that there are people who will literally stop watching football or, or raise hell because of it. I don't know how much, how many people will absolutely stop watching the NFL, but it's enough that has people shaking, powerful people. So they can't go back to the way it was because it looks like they're retreating or it will definitely be positioned that way. And they can't keep on doing what they are doing because they're, they're making themselves look like fools. And they all know they're being played. Plus, it's, cr like it's, it's trash how they're handling some of these players. It's absolutely trash how they're handling Colin Kaepernick and Eric Reed. So how do you fix it? What's the easy fix? It's, it's simple. And I'm surprised that no one in that league has even thought of it. Don't air the playing of a performer singing the national anthem. Don't do it. Produce a vignette while the national anthem is being played, right? We have real life issues with our veterans. Our veterans are coming home. They have, you know, emotional, mental distress. They can't find jobs. You know, it's, it's really tough out here for our vets. So while the national anthem is playing, produce these different, you know, vignettes while the national anthem is playing and broadcast it via over the, the television line, right? Don't have a singer on the 50-yard line singing it. Produce these vignettes while the national anthem is playing. And then have your troops pick out different troops. I mean, we got plenty of them. And then they could voice 
you know, I'm coming home. I'm such and such lieutenant, army lieutenant. I'm coming home looking for work. Boom, boom, boom. Give their testimonies as the anthem is playing, man. Show them, man. Do the thing where the, the, the troops come home to their children or their parents or their wife or husband. We all, every single person loves those moments, right? It tugs at your heart. You're not human if you don't get emotional when you see a parent break down when they see their child come home and run into their arms or when a, a child sees their mom or dad coming back home from serving. Like, you can play this and in the, on television, you won't even see who's standing or who's sitting or who's kneeling or who's still in the locker room, right? Because we'd all be caught up in the visual. We are in a visual day and age. We love stimuli visually. So the national anthem is playing. You have these well-produced visual video that goes on as B-roll over the anthem. You have troops give their testimony. You have troops talk about, you know, them looking for jobs, things that they can contribute to our society as a civilian. Now you have the, the, the wonderful video of families being reunited and look what happens no one is focused on who's standing or kneeling or, or fist in the air or who's in the locker room no one cares because we're watching these touching moments and more importantly forget the the quote on the distraction angle more importantly we always say that we are for our troops and we love our troops and there's a viral video going around right now of a, a news anchor i forget his name name escapes me i should say and he's kind of just going off talking about how, you know, the the true meaning of these protests have been hijacked and how people always talk about how they love their troops, but the actions just don't show it. Right. So the, 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 the real win is that we would be showing and giving and giving an opportunity and giving, you know, uh, a platform for our vets to talk about their hardships or to to kind of. Uh, give themselves a position to, to get these jobs, to get help, right? So it's a win-win. Like, who's going to get upset at seeing these videos? And just in case these politicians try to still use, like, the, the, the leverage of the, 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 the patriotism, right? Oh, uh, we have the patriotic high road. You know how quickly you could clap back at somebody being like, oh, well, why are they not showing the players? And, you know, I'm sure there'll be fans in the stadium trying to take pictures of who is and who is not on the field. You know how quickly you're like, you know what? We're actually worried about our vets. We actually care about our vets. We're not paying attention to anything but them while we uh, say our um, national anthem or what have you. And then you shut that down. You then take the patriotic high road away from them that that leverage that they've been using the trump card pardon the pun that they've been using on the patriotism you take that away because you are actually right because everyone talks about disrespecting the troops disrespecting the troops even though the players have continuously said that they're not talking about our troops or our military you take that away while providing production value produce a two-minute video piece that accompanies the national anthem. Who's going to complain? The people who say they love their troops and they want to show respect to their troops, you think they're going to complain by seeing actual troops give their testimony? 
by seeing actual troops be reunited with their families? If you're in the stadium, put it on the big screen. Again, we love to be stimulated visually. And even more so. And shout out to the players, man. God bless them. Because I feel what they felt, right? Being frustrated and just feeling like there's just no one is listening. And shout out to Cap. Shout out to Eric Reed because they got a conversation started. And that's what they that's what their intent was. But again, once Jerry Jones winked, once Ray Lewis made a spectacle of the entire process, two knees is for Jesus. You know, this message I feel has gone on as far as it can. There's nothing wrong with refocusing, right? refining the focus, regrouping, adjusting the message. I love what Michael Jenkins had, you know, you know, he had this kind of the signs, the NXS signs, if you will, right? Where they're asking him questions and he didn't answer it. He just held up a card talking about statistics and talk about the disproportionate number of minorities, black people specifically, but minorities overall, who are being unfairly policed and how the criminal justice system is not fair, right? Change your delivery. This has been two years now, and it's been hijacked. The people who continue to call it a national anthem protest or continue to say that you are disrespecting the flag and the troops and the military, they don't want to hear you, and they're not going to. So it's time to pivot. And this is as good as an opportunity ever because now no one's going to be focused on whether you're standing or kneeling or raise the fist or in the locker room. Now it's like, okay, what can we do now to continue what Cap and Eric Reed started to push this conversation further? Because the owners don't care. Roger Goodell doesn't care. And most of the fans don't care. But there are people who do. But there are people who do. There you go. I just fixed the problem that NFL has seemingly struggled with for two years. Make a video presentation to accompany the national anthem. No one will be care. No one will care who's on the knee or not, because everyone will be focused on the big screen. If you're watching on television, the only thing you'll see is the video montage of troops giving their testimonies or being. Uh, reunited with their family. And who doesn't love those stories? Boom. I'm doing this for free, y'all. I'm serious, man. I, maybe I need to go ahead and start charging these ideas. You feel me? Do you agree with what I'm saying? Do you think it works? Do you think it doesn't work? Let me know. Email me at quarterlyreport at gmail.com. That's quarterlyreport, Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E, report at gmail.com. Or you can tweet me your thoughts, your reactions to my idea to finally putting an end to the player protest slash national anthem debate. It's tired. It's played out. The message has been hijacked. It's time to move on. Two years, this has been going on. And they've already blackballed Colin Kaepernick and their agree. What's next? Right. I gave my idea. Tweet me yours at quarterly show. Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E -E -E show. All right, guys, I'm done with the anthem talk. I'm done with protests. I promise you I'm not doing it anymore. But there still is more NFL topics to discuss, starting with our second topic this week. Second quarter. Oh, yes. It's been a while since we have heard this song on this show. For those of you who are new, 
First off, thank you so much for listening to the Quarterly Report. It just so happens to be the greatest podcast of all time. You're welcome. But secondly, when you hear the sounds of Wankster by 50 Cent, we all know the timeless classic. That means that we are about to address someone who has fallen off. In the immortal words of Curtis Jackson in this very song, the most memorable line of the song, possibly of his career, he says, damn, homie, in high school, you were the man, homie. What the f*** happened to you? And I feel like, man, I feel that in my soul sometimes. Joe, we've all encountered somebody who was in high school, flexing a lot when they were in school, whether it was a guy, girl, whomever. You know what I'm saying? And then you see them later, later in life, and you look at them like, Slim, what, what, what's going on with you? Wash your face, baby. I don't know what happened. But we're not here to make fun of anybody, right? A little bit. But we're not talking about, you know, certain life situations happen. That's not what this segment is for. This segment is for athletes and sometimes entertainers who were big men on campus, you know, big stuff just a few years ago. Whether they were in high school, whether it was when you were a listener were in high school, whatever the case may be. People who have fallen on hard times in a matter of years. We like to ask the same question, Slim. What happened to you in this week? I mean, my goodness. My goodness, Kelvin Benjamin. There's no question you the sports waster of the week. You, Slim, you may be the sports waster of the year, Joe. All of this started for some reason. Kelvin Benjamin found it in his heart to take a shot at Cam Newton for no reason. Weeks ago, he said, you know what? I'm paraphrasing now. I don't have the direct quote, but most of you all probably are aware. And he was saying something along the lines that playing with Cam Newton limited what he could do as a wide receiver and that Cam Newton wasn't accurate. He, he goes out of his way to name Cam Newton. And then in the process of taking shots at Cam, a former NFL MVP, he is talking about how Nate Peterson, Peterman, the Bama who threw like 99 interceptions in one game last year, how he's so accurate and how it's good to play alongside him. So the whole thing at that quote, that is enough to be caught, just to, to have his kind of, just to sit him down and be like, yo, what's going on with you? At that point, that's just an angry man, right? That's just an angry man segment where you just tell Kelvin Benjamin, sit your ass down. But no, Kelvin doesn't stop there. Kelvin, then, as luck would have it, luck, fate, whatever you want to call it, Kelvin Benjamin and the Buffalo Bills play host to Cam Newton in their first preseason game, each team's preseason open, right? Can't make it up. Couldn't make it up. So just weeks after Kelvin Benjamin lost his damn mind, talking about Cam held him back and that how it's refreshing to play with Peterman, Cam, and I'm not even the biggest Cam Newton fan for real. Cam, like, stood tall. And well, no games, and well, no back and forth in the media. Before the game, Cam Newton walks up to Kelvin Benjamin, and we can only assume that conversation was like, Slim, what? Like, you got a problem? We got a problem? Like, what you talking? And what makes this a sports wankster? What makes this a sports wankster and not just an angry man? Because, you know, there are levels to this, right? 
Angry Man, for those of you all who don't know, my, one of my favorite shows growing up was Martin. Martin had a great uh, regular recurring character on the show, and that man only said five things. That man's name was Angry Man, and those five words were, man, sit your ass down. But anybody can be told to sit their ass down from time to time. Hell, I need to be told that by myself regularly. And we are coming, we're fast approaching the time where my daughter will be telling me that because I have the tendency to kind of jump out there, right? So sometimes I need to have a seat. We all do. But that's, that's regular. If you're a sports wankster, that's like slim. Your whole lifestyle is falling apart. People need to remember Kelvin Benjamin came out in the 2014 draft class. For those of you who do not remember the receivers taken in that draft class, just want to say in the first round alone, Sammy Watkins, Odell Beckham, Brandon Cooks, Kelvin Benjamin, like all these guys came up the same time. So it was like, okay, boom, all these dudes look really, really strong. Kelvin Benjamin has fallen off. We don't really consider him in that same class anymore. Not at all with Odell. Not at all. So he's fallen off just from his rookie year. But now he's fallen off to the point where he's taking shots at Cam Newton, defending Nate Peterman, Peterson, whatever the hell his name is. And then before their preseason opener, Cam steps to Kelvin. And Kelvin like a lame, can't even look that man in the eye. Cam trying to have a conversation. Kelvin don't want to talk to him. He walk away. Cam follows him. It don't seem like he, he flexing. He got his hands behind his back. He tried to just shake his hand. Kelvin was trying to play it. Cam had to shoo away Davis, which is crazy to me, which is crazy to me, right? And Cam just kept on following him. Kelvin couldn't look that man in the eye. Didn't want to talk with him. He ain't want no smoke. Slim, what is wrong with you? Wash your face, baby. Come on. Like, you can't take a shot at the MVP via Twitter. Sounding crazy as hell, right? And then when the man confronts you to talk to you face-to-face, you don't want to talk. You don't even want to look at him in the face. You got to hide your head, hold your head down, and walk away. Slim. 2014 was not that long ago, brother. What happened to you? Oh my God. We, we, yo, we just had the Hall of Fame, right? Randy Moss, Ray Lewis, first ballot Hall of Famers. Kelvin, get your gold, get your gold jacket, baby. First ballot Hall of Famer, Wankster Hall of Famer. You right there with Freddie Adu. What the hell happened to you? Not just on the field, brother, but off the field. I I still to this day don't know what the I don't know what had to happen. I have no idea what had to happen between Kelvin and Cam for him to, to jump out there like that. But if you go jump out there, baby, you better get your breaststroke on. Slim, don't don't jump out in the ocean and then just be like, ah, you know, whatever. Nah, Slim, you wanted to be out there. Ride that wave. <laughs> you feel me? Don't talk trash about Cam. Him come see him walk right up to you. It wasn't in the press. Cam did Cam gets a lot of flack. And like I said, I'm not the biggest Cam Newton fan. But shout out to Cam, Joe. He didn't talk reckless. He didn't say anything about it. Didn't tweet. We know Cam likes to have the crazy ass tweets and the crazy 
like text and fonts. He ain't do none of that. He shooed Thomas Davis out the way, which was crazy to me, which low-key probably the best part of the entire situation. There's no cameras around. There's no mics around. He walked up to him. And after Kelvin, we got to make sure we don't gloss over this fact. Kelvin Benjamin went out of his way to call out Cam Newton. Cam didn't say nothing about him. Didn't say a word about Kelvin Benjamin. Kelvin Benjamin wanted the smoke. And then when the smoke came up to his doorstep, he walked away and kept his head hit. Get out of here, Joe. That's lame as hell, Joe. Ugh. So, man, we're going to run it back. Because there's nothing else left to say. Kelvin Benjamin. Damn, homie. In high school, you was the man, homie. What the f*** happened to you? Sports wankster like a mother. Oh, my gosh. I'm not even a Panther fan. And I'm just like, bro, what? What else can you say? How do you defend them? Bills fans, hit me up. How are you defending your man, Kelvin? Dog, we used to think he was on the same level as Odell and Cooks. And Sammy, all these dudes, nah, Joe, brother, you just a few years removed from coming into camp looking like an offensive lineman, Joe. What are you talking about? <laughs> you can't make this stuff up. Man, you can't make this stuff up. This is the NFL I like talking about. Bama's walking away from the smoke after starting the forest fire. Sit your ass. Man, this needs to be uh, an angry man. And a damn sports wankster and whatever else that I could come up with. Kelvin Benjamin. Man, you would. Oh, boy. Let me just move on before I jump out there. <laughs> All right, y'all. Y'all heard the horn, man. I got to move on. I'm going to say something super crazy. I'm going to say something super reckless. So before Kelvin Benjamin's big ass come to Largo, Maryland looking for me, I'm going to keep the show moving. Y'all heard the horn. That means we are at halftime. The first half has flown by been a football-centric show thus far, but we're going to pivot here, right? Or at least a little bit. We're going to try out a brand new segment for the quarterly report. Y'all remember, you know, this past segment, the second quarter, it was Wankster, South to Fifth, right? But it seems like forever ago, but before, you know, G-Unit fell apart and 50 Cent was best known for taking shots at Floyd Mayweather and power and get the strap, G-Unit was a pretty big deal. One of my favorite G-Unit songs was Beamer, Benz, and Bentley, right? But I like to flip certain things. If you're an occasional listener to the show, y'all know what I'm talking about. So for halftime this week, we are going to play a game. And if you are listening, you can play along. I encourage you to. Instead of it being called Beamer, Benz, and Bentley, this segment is called Politician, Athlete, or Rapper. Sounds like it may be a little bit confusing, but I promise you, it's pretty self-explanatory. Check it out. It's time now for the game where all I do is read you three quotes. And all you have to do at home is tell me if a politician, athlete, or rapper said this quote. The game is called Politician, Rapper, Athlete. Politician, Rapper, Athlete. Politician, Rapper, Athlete. Hey. Okay, guys, it's time for the first round. Again, Really simple game. I read three quotes, and after each quote, you at home or you in the car, you at work, you answer whether this quote was said by a politician, rapper, or an athlete. Got it? Good. 
First quote, they actually called about the robe. They thought I really wore boxer shorts. They were like, you can't wear boxers and a robe. Who said that? If you guessed athlete, you would be correct. That quote comes from Swaggy P himself, Nick Young, who did a recent article with Complex Magazine. All right, pretty simple. We're gonna see if you can do better in round number two. This quote is, I don't know what that instrument is, but I'm not a pedophile. That quote comes from former Alabama Senator candidate Roy Moore from Sasha Baron Cohen's Showtime show, Who is America? Wild, right? All right, last and final quote goes like this. I'm working on removing the word I. Correction, we're working on removing the word I. Who said that mess right there? If you said rapper, you would be correct. That comes from none other than sucking place man himself, Kanye West. All right, guys, three quotes, three different answers. Hopefully you guys enjoyed this game because it will be returning very soon. Again, this game was called Politician, Rapper, Athlete. Politician, Rapper, Athlete. Politician, Rapper, Athlete. If you've never heard the song Beamer, Benza, Bentley, that whole segment may be a little off to you. So if you have the time, check it out. The song is really not that great, but the beat and the idea stems from Lloyd Banks and Joel Santana. My goodness, 2006 was a hell of a year, right? But that's the latest halftime. I enjoyed it. Hopefully you did too. If you didn't, I'm sorry, but I like that jank, man, and I'm going to keep on doing it, all right? So if you get any weird quotes that you see from politicians, athletes, or rappers, feel free to tweet them to yours truly at Quarterly Show. That's Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E Show. Or email them at QuarterlyReport at gmail.com. Again, we'll be doing that probably a little bit more frequently because that stuff is pretty funny. Like crazy quotes are always funny to me. I enjoyed it. Hopefully you did too. All right, guys, but the show must go on. We are one half down, two quarters to go, and we're going to start things off with the vengeance with my man, the people's anchor, Mr. Michael Jenkins. He is a great friend of the program, no lie. I've known Jenks for over a decade now, man, and some of the, the work I've done that I'm the most proud of uh, is with him right by my side, man. The best anchor that I know, the people's anchor, my guy, Michael Jenkins. Jenks, what's going on, buddy? Hey, man. It's always a pleasure. How you doing? Oh, no. The pleasure is all mine. Jenks, I'm fresh off of vacation, so I'm feeling energized, and there's a lot to discuss locally and nationally. But before we get to that, you all listening in the D.C. area, you all know Jenks. But just in case you're outside of the area, make sure you follow my guy, Jenks, on Twitter. He's at JenksNBCS. Also on Facebook, facebook.com slash JenksNBCS. Amazing follow, really funny, really insightful. Uh, the best sports anchor that I know, and that says a lot because I know I'm fortunate enough to know a, a lot of really talented guys and gals. Um, but Jinx, at the time of this recording, you know, the sports world is still kind of buzzing about Tiger Woods and his performance in the PGA Championship. Um, I'm someone who doesn't even like Tiger, <laughs> okay? I don't like him. But I can't lie, the only time I watch golf on television, and this is not me exaggerating, the only time I watch golf 
on television is when he's contending for a, a championship, a major. And I'm not the only one, whether you like him or not. They said the final round of the PGA Championship saw a 70% increase from just last year, which is insane. I say all of that to, to kind of provide the context, right? I believe that Tiger Woods is the biggest sports superstar in the world today. And we use the term superstar far too loosely, in my opinion, when we talk about sports, right? So I want to provide the right amount of context when I say this. I don't know if there are five American sports superstars to begin with. But I think Tiger is the biggest one, even over LeBron. And I don't, I'm not saying, when I say superstar, I'm not saying that, you know, Tiger Woods is more athletic, he's more popular, his Q rating is higher than LeBron's. That's not what I mean when I say it. So let me clarify. I think more people who do not watch a sport will watch Tiger than they will anyone else. Meaning, if you don't like the NBA, I don't think that you're going to just watch LeBron just because it's LeBron. I know for a fact that there are people, many people, who don't know 10 golfers who couldn't name the courses, couldn't name three different clubs, but they will watch Tiger because he is Tiger. And in that regard, I think not only Tiger Woods is the biggest superstar in sports today, I think he's the biggest superstar in sports ever. Am I crazy for thinking that? No, you're not. And I'll tell you why. There's a fine line there that you pointed out. And it's because, precisely because, as you said, we throw out the word superstar all the time, right? Like, right. if someone said to you, oh, Carmelo Anthony, he's a superstar. It's like, well, he's not really a superstar. You know, like, he's a star player. He's an all-star. He's known around the world if you follow basketball. But he's not that megastar that has that sort of charisma and has that sort of game where – when you're watching someone, you know you're watching something or that you might see something you've never seen before. Right. And to me, MJ was like that and Tiger is like that. And he was on Sunday. Yeah. And that's the difference because I, I always hate to bring in Jordan with every conversation, but it, it's warranted because that's how big of a star he was where in that position, like if he got to the finals or if Tiger got to Sunday wearing his red in the lead, those dudes didn't lose. Right. And I'm not trying to knock LeBron's record in the finals. This, you know, I've come around on LeBron as far as what he's done. So, so it's not that at all. But when those guys were in those positions, it was for MJ. It was this way, and it was this way for Tiger on Sunday because you thought, you know what, this guy in this position, he almost always delivers. And I know I'm going to see something that's going to blow my mind. And that's exactly what happened. When I watched Tiger on Sunday, he had a 64. I mean, kept. Kepka had to shoot a 66 just to keep that cushion, which is no small task considering you've got Tiger and a Warren Gallery like right in front of you. And Tiger goes out and he can't even hit the fairway and he's hitting these ridiculous shots like a foot from the pin. And that's the thing, like nobody else does that. Nobody else does that. There, nobody can do what he does when he plays like that. Right. Doesn't, now it's different now because Tiger doesn't have the physical capabilities. He's getting older, so he can't really sustain that like he used to, at least. I don't think he's going to be able to. I think we'll see spurts like this from Tiger, and then maybe that leads to another major on his resume. But he also has that charisma, and he also – he's electric in a way that golf was never electric before right. he got there. 
you know, when Tiger's, you know, charging after a putt and he points at the ball and falls in the hole, I mean, when have you ever seen that in golf? You know, it's the gentleman's game, right? Yeah. You know, guys shake hands and they nod at each other and they have, you know, golf takes itself very seriously, so they're always taking off their caps. And I appreciate all that, but it's just a different level. And Tiger, remember when he was in his prime and he would hit a bad tee shot and they would catch him, like, cursing off Curry. camera? Yeah. Went a fit. Like, yeah. They were like, oh, my God. Did Tiger, did he just, but that's because he was just a different level player. He was a straight killer on the golf course. He was just a killer. And nobody had ever seen a guy with that sort of competitive nature who could also do things you had never seen before. Uh, And when he has a performance like he did on Sunday, it just takes you back. I mean, I was slapping my bed trying to make the ground move when that one ball was just on the, you know, the edge of the cup. I mean, he was an inch away, a half inch away from, Taking another stroke off his uh, off his scorecard, and he just he has an energy there and a competitiveness that has never before been seen in golf, and still hasn't been seen. Even now, even golf is a healthy sport. There's a lot of talent out there. Tiger didn't even win, but the only thing people want to talk about is Tiger. Absolutely. Once again, guys, I'm joined by a friend, somebody I know well, uh, someone I I am a fan of, Michael Jenkins. Make sure you follow him on Twitter. He's at Jinx NBCS. He is the co-host of DC Sports Live, a really fun show with another friend of mine, Travis Thomas. Make sure you guys check that show out each and every weeknight, Monday through Friday at 10, B- 10 p.m. on NBC Sports Washington. And Jinx, you know, we can't talk about sports um, in this area where we live in mid to late August without talking about the Burgundy and Gold. Uh, I don't know if you feel this way, but... I've noticed personally that there seems to be a um, a higher sense of positive buzz, right? Cautious optimism, maybe, uh, surrounding this team heading into this upcoming season, injuries notwithstanding, um, than there have been in the past, you know, handful of years. It seems like there is a a real kind of genuine optimism and positive vibe circling this team as for from the fans and the team's perspective. Is that something that you feel as well? And if so, why do you think that is? Because I have a few ideas as to why there's so much positivity circling the Burgundy and Gold this year. A little bit. I mean, I'm a little jaded from the past because I feel like we do go through this every year. Yesterday, (laughs) Daryl Green was asked his expectations. What does Daryl Green say? Super Bowl. (laughs) (laughs) Of course he said Super Bowl. So, I mean, the thing with the Redskins is this. Number one is that Kirk Cousins situation was a distraction. It was a huge distraction. And you know that as much as I think Kirk was liked in the locker room, I certainly right. never heard that he was not disliked in any way, shape, or form. If you're a player, if you're a coach, you read about it, you hear everybody talking about it, you get asked about it, and you get sick of that nonsense. It's three really years quick. in a row. Three years. Yeah. And I would say, which I won't go off on this, I mean, that's on the Redskins, right? They could have taken care of them a long time ago. They didn't want to, so they created this distraction where they were always having this guy hang on year to year to year. And secondly, I think the Redskins do have talent, specifically on defense. I'm not necessarily sold on their offense, especially with, with guys being out for the season. But if right. you look at their defensive line and some of those dudes, you know, Deron Payne, John Allen, these guys out of Alabama that are really good football players that have – and, and I'm not just saying it because they went to Alabama. If you look at them on tape, if you look at their production, right. they're going to be very good football players. So as opposed to just talking up guys, you know, and Kerrigan's a good player. 
Uh, all, all, they have a lot of talent back there. Josh Norman, DJ Sprinters, they have legitimate talent on defense that can step up and I think make them a good ball club. But on offense, I would also say, and I said this the other night on the show, the one thing that concerns me is as much as I like Alex Smith, if you took Kareem Hunt yeah. and put him on the Redskins, if you took Tyreek Hill and put him on the Redskins, if you put Travis Kelsey and the Chiefs and the Redskins, those three guys are immediately the best players at their respective positions on the team. Yeah, Those are the types of dudes that he was working with in Kansas City. So it is going to be a downgrade for him when he looks out to his left and his right and he sees Josh Doxson, he sees Jordan Reed, who can be great, but who's never healthy. He's got a backfield now that's going to be running back by committee. So I'm not sold on the offensive side, but I definitely think, at least defensively, there is some real talent that the Redskins can work with, and they could be better than we think. Yeah, I don't think anyone can understate the Kirk Cousins situation. And this is not an indictment on Kirk or or Alex Smith for that matter, right? I just think that over the past few years, it was so exhausting. And the only thing that people talked about, or the majority, the number one thing was, is he a franchise quarterback? Should he be is he worth this money? Should they resign? Yada yada yada. Like that that talking point usurped everything regarding the football team. And it was exhausting. It was an exhausting exercise, whether it's from the team perspective, as you mentioned, or from the fan base. Because the only time you talked about wins and losses was through the prism of did Kurt win the game? Did he lose the game? And after a while, like this team this team went through that for two straight years. It was it was enough. And I think just the fact that he's gone and that that storyline is gone. Again, not an indictment on Cousins, but just the fact that that storyline is gone, that people are like breathing a breath of fresh air. So it's like, uh, like we can get back to football, really. But I also want to talk about another reason why I feel that there's more optimism this season, or at least there there's there feels like a lot of hope and positive vibes. And it leads to my next subject. When the Caps won, God bless the Caps, man. You know, the entire area, even people who don't even watch hockey, everybody was riding this euphoric ride of, like, just happiness. Everyone was just through the roof. And, you know, the Nats came on, and obviously they had high expectations heading into the season. But this season has been such a disappointment that people are now just, they've, they've, they've turned off. They've been hurt so bad for from the Nationals, that they're now just focused on football. Like, okay, that hurt, talking about baseball hurts, on to the next thing. So it was like a natural kind of ebb and flow. Speaking of the Nats and sticking with the Nats, how disappointing has this season been for them? Because at the time of this interview, they are seven games behind the Braves and have suffered back-to-back walk-off losses. It's like you couldn't write it up. How disappointing has this season been for the Nationals? And who do you blame if if you do blame anyone? Who is what is the main reason why this season has completely fallen apart? I think those guys are cooked. They are yeah. done. Just from a morale I mean, now they're seven games back, like you said. So from a realistic perspective, they have so much work to do and the teams in right. front of them are playing good baseball. But from a morale perspective, this is crushing because there's no help on the way. Right. When you look at their closing situation, and David Martinez said this last night, he said, I, what else are we going to do? Like, I don't yeah. know what else to do. When you look at the guys they can go to, people say, well, go to Sammy Solis. Okay, well, he's going to give up a home run. Go to Cody Glover. Well, he's going to give up a home run. And, you know, Herrera's injured. Uh, Shaw Doolittle's injured. So the two main cards that were supposed to close out games for the Nats 
are gone. I don't right. put that all on Davey Martinez. And then the Madsen issue where he revealed yeah. he was injured after the fact, I don't know why that wasn't shared with his manager beforehand. I put a little bit of the blame on David Martinez. You can't deny the fact that the Nationals have had tons of injuries, so that there's nothing he can do about that. I do think there there have been times this season when maybe Davey left a, a pitcher in too long or he didn't pull out Mads the other night. He could have done that. And I also think from a general perspective, when you have a bunch of talent on one team, even with injuries, and you need someone to guide you, I would entrust a situation like that to someone like Dusty Baker, who has done it all, seen it all, a veteran guy, as opposed to a guy still making his way and learning how to be a major league manager who's in his first season. Not necessarily an indictment of Davey Martinez, but I think this is sort of the perfect storm of it's an underperforming team, you got a rookie manager, and now you have injuries. And once again, I mean, you talk about the Redskins going through the same thing year in and year out. It's been the same thing right. with the Nationals year in and year out. Preseason World Series favorites, they suffered some injuries. And here we are again. They're pretty much done. Yeah, man. I'm watching the post-game interview the other night. And I'm like, I feel genuinely bad for Davey Martinez. You know what I'm saying? Like, he's out there saying, like, what else can I do? And I felt him. I absolutely felt him when he said that. I have no idea what else is he supposed to do. But I do think that this speaks to an arrogance, maybe from the ownership, maybe the front office, that they just assumed that 90 wins in a division title was just going to be given to them. You know, we I heard it ad nauseum on radio that, you know, anybody can just be a manager of this team and they'd win 90 games. Like, this, that's something that people said this year, you know. And, look, I am not a baseball expert. I don't, I'm not even a baseball fan. So I'm not here to, to rave about former managers and former skippers or whatever. But I do feel that, hiring a first-year skipper and expecting these lofty goals, it just speaks to an arrogance to a club that, let's be frank, like the Nationals haven't done anything to deserve this type of arrogance and these expectations. They haven't done anything. Exactly. When, you, when, you have, when you've done nothing, I mean, forget about a World Series. This team hasn't been to the NLCS. Won a round in the playoffs. Yeah, won a round in the playoffs. So how can you say this team is on autopilot? You just got to sit there and, and ride them to the finish. I never thought that. But I know what you're saying. You heard that a lot. Like, this team is going to dominate. The, all the pieces are in place. And what's sad to me is when, you know, it reminds me of the Caps in that, and, of course, now it doesn't bother us as much, but right. you're wasting these years, you know. Right. You've got the talent in place. It's almost like I'd rather be a terrible team. I was like, well, that's who we are, and we're going to look back at this season, the season before, the season before that, and say, you know, this team was good enough to win it all. They just didn't get it done, and that's a killer because with each year, of course, guys are getting older, guys are going to leave. We don't know if Bryce is going to be back. So this window, like it was with the Cavs, and maybe it will turn out differently with the Nationals too, but that window that they've had, which is a pretty big window where they've had tons of talent, on paper, they should be able to win a lot of games. They just keep faltering. It's just, uh, if you're a baseball fan, and especially the last two nights, two straight logouts, man, I don't mean to laugh, but that's, when things are bad, man, this is about as bad as it gets. Once again, guys, I'm joined by my guy, my brother for real, Michael Jenkins, the People's Anchor, co-host of DC Sports Live on NBC Sports Washington, alongside my other brother, Travis Thomas. Make sure you guys check out the show. Really fun, different spin on sports locally on NBC Sports Washington, Monday through Fridays at 10 p.m. 
Um, make sure you follow my guy Jinx also on Twitter. He's at JinxNBCS. And follow him on Facebook, facebook.com slash JinxNBCS. And this is going to be my last question to you, Jinx. Um, as I've gotten older, my love for college football has grown. And I know you are a huge college football fan since birth. Hook them. Oh, um, sure. But, um, you know, recently there have been these really high-profile uh, college football scandals, if you will. I don't even like using the term because that kind of, I don't know, it, it kind of takes away from how severe some of these issues, both of these issues really are. Uh, first, it was, you know, a few weeks back, it was the Urban Meyer uh, situation at Ohio State. There was a, a rally in support of Urban Meyer as if he's any type of victim, which was just left an awful taste in my mouth. And now locally, Maryland, they're going through all types of stuff. A young man dies in, I want to say, the end of May. And then just last week, there is a report um, detailing some of the awful uh, behaviors and habits that the football team, um, that they're showing. And now, only then, like not the death, but after the report, we're starting to see things kind of uh, shake up in College Park. Now, it's important to know, that at the time of this interview, DJ Durkin is still the head coach at Maryland. He's on administrative leave, but he is still the head coach. Um, I don't know, man. This whole thing feels dirty to me. Uh, I don't know if this speaks to college football, if it speaks to football, the sport, or just us as a society, as sports fans. But I'm, I wonder... Why do you think that these two stories in the Big Ten are dominating? And do you think this is something that is specific to uh, football or us as a sports, a rabbit sports society? I think it's that's a great question. I, I love the topic just because it's important. And I think it's a problem across college sports in particular. Uh, maybe in the pros, but it's different because guys are getting paid and, and, and there's sort of a – yeah, exactly. They're adults, and so they're, you know, once a man's a man, you're, you know, these college coaches, and you hear them all the time, are here to shape young men and help them grow, and they are. Right. But there is this culture, and, and I honestly, I've, I've never gotten it where we're so willing to forgive or forget these trans massive transgressions right. that that coaches make um, in the name of, of winning. Yeah. And as much as I, you know, I love Texas, but if tomorrow I found out that Tom Herman had let a uh, perpetrator of domestic violence stay on his staff for years after right. numerous instances, I'd say, well, then he's got to go. I mean, I mean, I don't like it. Um, I, right. It sucks for the football program, but he, he, that's that's not debatable. It's not it's not something we can discuss and hash out. We're going to have to start fresh because and something needs to be done to ensure this doesn't happen again. And that's the thing that really concerns me about the Maryland situation, as you pointed out, that that after Jordan McNair died, it wasn't the death that sparked his investigation. It was it was a report. If a young man dies on your watch and there were reportedly signs that this could have been prevented, then there needs to be an immediate investigation and immediate insight as to how in the world we got here. Yeah. So, uh, you know, with the Ohio State situation, man, watching that video and this guy's yelling, 
you know, starting Urban Meyer chants. And then he says, I drove 12 hours to be here. And I'm like, wait a second, dude. You drove 12 hours to lead 100 people in a chant to support a coach who was enabling an assistant coach. I, I just don't get it. And, and I, at some point, people need to get perspective. I, even the hardest core sports fan, you love sports and I love sports, but I know you well enough and you know me well enough where if right. something like that went down, we would say, well, that's just the way it is. There's no way this can be allowed and we're going to have to move forward. Talking about our favorite teams, regardless of how much it hurts. But yeah. for some people, they, they will find a way. There are conspiracy theories out there. Yeah. I mean, the, the whole Urban Mind thing took place or the whole situation where there was that report that came out, which was false, that Tom Herman at Texas was behind it. It's so weird. It's, it's so, ridiculous. It's weird. And it, 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 I don't know. It feels as if it's getting worse. You know what I mean? Jinx, you and I were working together not too long ago. It feels like uh, forever ago now, but it was just a few years ago where, you know, Ravens fans were cheering Ray Rice when he was coming to practice. And all they had known about his situation was that he punched his wife and knocked her out unconscious. And somehow that was something that, you know, united people. And, man, I, I honestly, and I'm not picking on any team. I'm not picking on any school, any sport. It's throughout sports culture and fandom. And I don't know, man. I, I'm looking at it, and I'm just thinking to myself, how did we get here? Because this can't be real life. Right. Well, you know, and I'll tell you one thing, and man, I don't want to go down this road, but I'll just touch on it. But we are increasingly in a society that starts at the top where when certain behaviors are normalized, right. whether it's lying, whether it's it's instances of a leader who is saying something that is offensive and it's 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 OK or it's justified, you know, right. stuff like that trickles down. People feel enabled and yeah. people feel like, well, I, you know. If so-and-so can do this, then this is the new normal. This is the way things are. It's not that bad. We should never get to a point – I'm not trying to preach here, but in, in athletics or any situation, whether it's business, whatever it is, where our passions for what we do end up overtaking our ethics or our morals. I mean, those things should matter. It should always matter. And somehow, uh, I feel like especially recently, maybe it's the environment we're in, uh, maybe it's just because there's more media coverage, that – Things that should be like non-starters, things that we should say, okay, that's unacceptable. We're done here. End up going up for debate, and that, like that—that that is incredible to me. I, I would fire Urban Meyer yesterday. I feel like he may actually get off of the suspension, and then they're hoping it'll just kind of quietly subside over time, especially if the Buckeyes start winning. And that's just a completely backwards way to look at things. I don't know how we got here, Armand. Man, I don't, I don't know how we got here either, Jinx, but um. I couldn't say it better than what you just did. So on that note, ladies and gentlemen, it's the best anchor I know. Easily the best anchor in town, Michael Jenkins. Make sure you follow him on Twitter. He's at JinxNBCS. Also, follow him on Facebook, facebook.com backslash JinxNBCS. He is the co-host of DC Sports Live on NBC Sports Washington, Monday through Fridays at 10 p.m. Alongside my brother, Travis Thomas Jinx. You're the best, bro. You know I love you. Thank you so much for joining me this week on the Quarterly Report. Hey, man, you know I love you. I love your work, man, and I miss working with you all the time, so I appreciate all the kind words, but everybody needs to know that, uh, uh, honest to God, like, like the majority of what I've been able to accomplish in the past few years, not that I'm a big deal or anything like that that came out the wrong way, but I'm saying that you've been behind that in, in a big way with helping me out, always, you know, 
assist me, giving me great ideas, and it's always good to talk to you, man. That's my guy for real, Michael Jenkins. You know, everybody knows he has, you know, a creative personality, super funny, but he's also extremely thought-provoking, man, and really sharp. Honestly, I'm not just saying this because he's my guy, but he is truly one of the best anchors. Uh, and he's not just funny, man. He's really smart, and that interview kind of showcases all the topics that he's able to discuss and do it at a high level. That's my guy for real. All right, guys, moving forward. That was our third quarter. That means we are down to our last final fourth quarter. We're going to try to finish up strong as I go to one of my favorite topics to discuss. That's right, the sweet science. It's our fourth topic this week. Fourth quarter. Anyone who knows me or has listened to this show for any significant amount of time, you know that my first love, when it comes to sports, is the NBA, right? However, this show is going to be the first show in really a long time where I'm not devoting a segment, a quarter, to basketball, which is kind of crazy considering how the season has been over. The last round of the playoffs ended in a sweep, right? So there's really nothing uh, significant on the court to talk about basketball, yet I always find ways to discuss it because I love it. And there are definitely topics regarding basketball that I would love to discuss. But my second favorite sport, by a, by a wide margin, like number one and number two are so much further than every other sport that I do love. My second favorite sport is boxing. And man, I had such high expectations this year for the sport. 2016 was amazing two years ago. It's a great year of boxing. And it was like the first great year in a while it wasn't just like okay this one fighter these handful of fights no 2016 especially the way it ended was amazing was amazing and that carried right on over to 2017 2017 was one of the best years of boxing that i can remember i mean we had super fight after super fight after super fight like legit super fight Anthony Joshua versus Vladimir Klitschko, super fight. Kell Brook versus Errol Spence Jr., super fight. Gennady Golovkin versus Saul Canelo Alvarez, super fight. Leo Santa Cruz, Carl Frampton too, super fight. I mean, the list goes on and on. The year of 2017 was so amazing for boxing. And then it set up. 2018 to be even better. That's what we all expected heading into this season. Unfortunately, however, much like many things in life, expectations crashed and burned. 2018 thus far, almost almost eight full months into the year, has been, to put it nicely, trash. <laughs> you feel me? The box, I mean, like, Whatever you want to, however you wanted to slice it. We were supposed to get Canelo, Golovkin 2, Cinco de Mayo. Nope. Tainted meat. <laughs> Anthony Joshua, Deontay Wilder was supposed to happen. Nope. Lord, and, and now we're at the point where we don't even know. Keith Thurman was supposed to fight somebody. Was it going to be uh, Terrence Crawford? Was it going to be Errol Spence? Was it going to be a rematch with Sean Porter or a rematch with Danny Garcia? Somebody. Nope. Keith Thurman got hurt again. And that that specific nugget 
has thrown off the entire welterweight division. All of it. Because now everybody's in the holding pattern. Errol Spence, nobody wants to fight him. Terrence Crawford, he's with Bob Arum and top rank. There's nobody there for the fight. The welterweight division, the glamour division in boxing, has been that way since pretty much my entire life. And, and everyone's in a standing pattern. Like everybody's standing still, holding pattern. This was supposed to be the year. And it's disappointing, bro, because I am a huge boxing fan. Like I said, it's my second favorite sport by a wide margin. And I want for I want so badly for boxing just to just to get it right. You know, like there's so many positives about boxing. It's fun. It's engaging. You get it, you you watch a fight with your partners. And if it's a good fight, you're stuck. Like you don't have to know anything. You don't have to know weight classes. You don't have to know who the champion is, who's the promoter. You don't even have to know who the fighters are. If you flip the channels and you see an amazing fight, you're not going to turn it away. I don't care who you are. I don't care unless you're someone who just is like turned off by violence. I promise you, you're not turning away from a great fight. It just doesn't happen because it's so magnetic. The sport is so amazing. No matter if you're someone who loves it and and loves to study it and loves the history like myself or you're just a casual sports fan and an onlooker when boxing is right there's not many things that are better than it once for, for sport but unfortunately with boxing they get in its own way Deontay Wilder Anthony Joshua should have already happened Terrence Crawford Errol Spence should absolutely happen before the year is out I'm at the point now where I don't even think they actually fight. One of the Charlo boys should fight Golovkin after this fight versus Canelo. That's not going to happen. Mikey Garcia should absolutely fight Vitaly Lomachenko. Not going to happen. I mean, you just go down the list of fights that are ready, that are right there primed and would be amazing fights, and they're just not going to happen. But me being the eternal optimist that I am, man, I feel like uh, Al Pacino and uh, well, Godfather 3, Michael Corleone, every time I think I'm out, they just pull me right in. Because I was, I'm serious, man. Before my vacation, I was about to be like, bro, I'm out. I'm out. 2018 just isn't, it's just not working for me. I'm done. When, when the, when the, um, Deontay Wilder, Anthony Joshua fight was kind of pushed aside and it was like, okay, this isn't going to happen. I was like, man, bro, I need to probably just go ahead and ride out boxing this year. I just need to put him in the, in the corner, Joe timeout for boxing because it's just not worth it. And then what happened? And then I saw Mikey Garcia, Robert Easter before my vacation. And it was a great fight. It was such a fun fight and it was everything that I loved about boxing. Mikey Garcia, say what you will about him. Say what you will about how much he loves the sport or his passion. He is a hell of a fighter. And he unified the lightweight championship division. Like, come on. You know, he's just a few years removed from not fighting. Like, he just came back to fighting a few years ago. And just like that, cleaned up the division. And now, my man Mikey... Where everybody's like, yo, 
you need to fight Vitaly Lomachenko, right? That's the fight. That's the fight that everybody wants because, okay, boom, you've got two of the best fighters around the same weight. This can happen. Mikey Garcia's like, nah, buddy, I'm moving up not one weight class, but two weight classes to fight maybe the, to fight a killer. Lomachenko may be the best fighter in the world. And he, I am a huge Vitaly Lomachenko fan. Do not listen to this and think that I'm being critical of Lomachenko. But there is a difference from fighting someone who is a, a technical master but does not have punching power to finding someone who is a technical beast, not nearly, not as great technically as Lomachenko, but has, like, game-changing power. Errol Spence is not the one to play with. He, for those of you who don't know, because I understand everyone is not a huge boxing fan and doesn't understand the sport. And that's cool, man, because I, I like this, right? I like learning. I don't even like, I like learning about other people's passion, right? If somebody is extremely passionate about something and they can convey it to me, I am all ears. I like that. Kel Brook is one of the best boxers in the world. He once was. He was a welterweight, 147. And he was a champion. He was an amazing champion. Kel Brook moved up two weight classes to fight Gennady Golovkin. Gennady Golovkin is a monster. I'm sure casual sports fans are familiar with him. If not the name, Triple G, right? I'm sure you guys, that probably rings a bell. Kel Brook is a monster. Kel Brook was one of the best boxers, again, in the world, one of the best welterweights, the best division in boxing. Gennady Golovkin broke his eye socket. Because he moved up two weight classes and he wasn't ready for that type of power. Okay? So he moved up to middleweight. He was a welterweight, moved up two weight classes to middleweight. He then went back down to 147 because he was a champion. And in 2017, he fought the aforementioned Errol Spence Jr. Golovkin broke Kell Brook's left eye socket. That was, again, it's important to note, Kell Brook's eye socket was broken fighting a bigger man. He moved up two weight classes. Golovkin's one of the best punchers in the sport. Kell Brook moves back down to his natural weight at 147, and Errol Spence broke Kell Brook's right eye socket. <laughs> that lets you know, number one, Kell Brook's power is amazing. And number two, and more importantly as it pertains to Mikey Garcia, there are weight classes for a reason. Moving up one weight class is a gamble. Moving up two weight classes is crazy. But to move up two weight classes and in your first fight, fight maybe the best fighter in the world who has that type of power at 147 is insane. Insane. But here's where boxing gets me. Now they're talking about that fight's happening in December. And bro, it put a smile on my face. I don't... It's probably a sad state of affairs when it comes to me that I'm happy that a guy is going to be hurt pretty severely in my birthday month, the last month of the year. But I'm just excited because I love boxing and I appreciate Mikey Garcia for actually going for it, man. And in the sport where everybody wants to protect their win loss record, where everybody wants to protect being a perfect and an undefeated record in their brand and yada, yada, yada. Mikey Garcia is going for it, and he's it's going to cost him. But damn if that fight isn't going to be exciting. And that was the springboard to get my excitement right back. Bro, they had me. I was about to tap out for at least the year. 
And now I'm invigorated. Then I come back. And Sergey Kovalev, someone who just a year and a half ago, vying for the best fighter in the world, gets his ass laid out. Ass laid out. He's done. And then I'm, and then I'm a junkie again. Just like that. Just like that one great fight, a potential setup for an amazing fight that's going to be a bloodbath, and then one of the best fighters gets his ass laid out, and then I'm a junkie. And now I'm worried about September, and here comes September. Boy, I swear. Let, let me, let, I'm glad this is recorded, because I'm telling y'all, man, I don't know if I can do it. September is a huge month for the sport, and this is a make or break for boxing, man, because 2018 has been trash. But they can redeem itself. We have Mayo, Cinco de Mayo was supposed to be Golovkin Canelo. Canelo ruined it. And side note, has any athlete, has any athlete's brand taken a bigger blow this year than Canelo's? Because I'm not certain. We're going to find out. We're going to find out when those pay-per-view numbers come. It's supposed to be Cinco de Mayo, but, you know, Golden Boy Promotions, they know what they're doing. It's not Cinco de Mayo. It's going to be Mexican Independence Weekend in September, Golovkin Canelo Part Two. I'm in it. I'm pissed off at Golovkin or Canelo. I'm not even a Canelo fan like that anymore. But I'm gonna watch it. I'm gonna buy it, and hopefully it lives up to the hype, man. Hopefully it does. And then after that, we got a chance for the welterweight division to finally get his act together because Sean Porter and Danny Garcia are going to get it on. Two of the more entertaining. Walter Waits at 147 are going to fight for Keith Thurman's vacant title. Keith Thurman hasn't fought in close to like two years now. A little year and a half, probably something along those lines. He had to drop the titles. So they're going to put it up, Sean versus Danny. And hopefully the winner of that fight finally wants to fight Errol Spence. And then we can start to shape, get things squared away in the welterweight division, right? It's sad that it has to come to that. And I'm still skeptical that either one of those guys, Sean Porter or Danny Garcia, actually wants to fight Errol Spence because they could have fought him several different times in years past. They don't want the smoke. And again, he broke Kell Brooks' eye socket. (laughs) I wouldn't want the smoke with Errol either, bro. But at least the roadblock has been paid, right? If these guys are going to believe what they have been saying, the winner of that fight He's going to eye Errol Spence for the next fight. And Errol is fighting Mikey Garcia, again, one of the better fighters in the world in December. And then to top it off, we have crazy-ass Tyson Fury. Anthony Joshua, I'm, I'm sick of talking about this, man. Either some people, you believe AJ, or some people believe Deontay Wilder. Where whomever you believe, the fact is, that fight's not going on. It's not going to happen in 2018. And it pisses me off that it's not because it's that's easy money but Tyson Fury's crazy ass he's like hell I for real I'm the heavyweight chair I beat Klitschko first and he's gonna fight Deontay Wilder if he gets past his next opponent which he should and then again end of the year we're looking at a huge heavyweight showdown and then hopefully that clears the road for an AJ versus whomever wins that fight I know I know May I'm I'm probably falling into the booby trap. I'm I know I'm 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 giving my heart to a sport that has routinely broken my heart time and time again. But damn it, I can't help myself. 
I'm so excited for the end of 2018, and hopefully it more than makes up for the, the first half of this year because, man, I want boxing to be so great. But the problem is I want boxing to be greater than boxing seems to want it to be great. Am I foolish for giving my heart to a sport that clearly doesn't care? Y'all let me know. Tweet at me at Quarterly Show. Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E Show. That's on Twitter. Let me know your thoughts. Or if you want to email me, box your heads. I know I haven't talked about the sport in a while, but this is your chance to kind of break through and let me hear your thoughts. Email me your ideas, your opinion. If I, am I crazy for believing in boxing? Email me at Quarterly Show. I'm sorry, Quarterly Report. Again, email me at quarterly report, Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E, report at gmail.com. All right, guys, man, it's been a hell of a show. I really want to thank you guys for listening. I also want to give another shout out and another big thanks to my guest this week, Michael Jenkins. That's my brother for real. Thank you all for listening, giving me an hour plus of your time this week on the quarterly report. I'll see you right back here next Thursday for another episode. Y'all have a great weekend.